This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Breaking news now. This just in, and this is something that affects Zoomers, more likely uh, will affect Zoomers in generations to come. Now, Finance Minister Bill Morneau has a hand-picked advisory council on economic growth. They've just come out with another round of their recommendations, and front and centre is the recommendation that Canadians should be encouraged to delay retirement by raising the eligibility age for old age security and the Canada Pension Plan, and that would make more people work longer. Uh, The proposal is just one of many significant policy changes that the panel recommends. But here's the thing. The idea runs counter to the current position of the federal liberals. Remember, they promised to reverse the Harper government's plan. The Harper government was going to raise the age of eligibility from 65 to 67. They got into a firestorm of criticism. It was one of Justin Trudeau's key election promises that he would roll that back and he did. He acted on it. He acted on it right away, even though the Harper proposal was going to be phased in over ten years, was not going to affect anybody who was on the cusp of retiring now, and may have factored in those two years into their calculations. So now here comes a policy recommendation. Are, are the Liberals going to reverse their position? Um, it's very interesting. Uh, we're now going to Jeremy Cronick from the C.D. Howe Institute. Hi, Jeremy. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? I'm okay. Well, what do you make of this recommendation? <laughs> I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting to see what's going to happen going forward. I mean, the, so, you know, on the one hand, the, the economic argument's always been very clear, right? I mean, uh, you know, the, the longer that people work, uh, the less the government has to spend on supporting them in retirement, and, and older people, you know, have the experience to perform well in, uh, in, in you know, functioning economy, and therefore they produce more for economic growth. Uh, you know, there's obvious uh, counter-arguments to it. We've all heard them. Some people who've toiled away in mines for 30 years may not be able to continue to work uh, post-65, and, you know, the, the earlier retirement age allows them uh, you know, to get a the the retirement benefit that they can use uh, if they're forced to retire early, or or you know things of that nature. So you know the the, the uh, on the macro on the whole, uh, you know the the argument's always been clear and and the evidence supports it. But it's uh, you know it's a tough thing politically, and for the liberals this would be a case of going against uh, a policy that they uh, like you said they campaigned on. I'm I'm going to give the numbers out again because I'm sure that our audience has opinions on this. The numbers 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. We're talking about news that just broke that the hand-picked 
Federal Council on Economic Growth says that Canadians should delay retirement, and they are recommending that the age of eligibility for old age security and Canada pension plan should be raised uh, from 65 to 67. I'm, I'm actually not sure that, that they, they laid out um, the exact age, uh, but that was the plan, the original plan uh, from the Harper Conservatives. Uh, Justin Trudeau promised to reverse that, and he did. So it's kind of a question. Do you people think this is a good idea? Probably would not affect current retirees. Uh, the Harper government original plan was going to be phased in over a long period of time. So what do you think? Is this a good idea? Uh, Call us and let us know what you think. Uh, Another point, Jeremy, about all of this is that um, this has been done in other Western countries. Virtually all Western countries have raised that age of eligibility to 67. Exactly. And, And, you know, the interesting thing, I think people forget, if you look at the history uh, of, of retirement eligibility. Uh, most of the, the programs across the developed world were sort of created in the early 20th century, and the retirement age was 65 in many cases. And at the time then, life expectancy was 60 or 65. So the No, it was never... less than that. Exactly. <laughs> it was 50. Right. I mean, so, so regardless, it, it, the, sort of the point being that the government never planned on uh, supporting people for, for 15 or 20 years. Like or 30. To, or 30 years or however long. Um, and so, you know, the fact that we haven't changed or raised the retirement age at all probably reflects, you know, the, the political sensitivities as opposed to any sort of economic argument. Well, well, exactly. Um, you know, it's a result of, of good news uh, that we here at Zoomer Media are trying to tell people. It's good news. We're all living longer. Right. We're living healthier. But then on the other hand, how can you expect uh, a normal working person to fund 20 or 30 years in retirement? Right, right. And then, I mean, and then on top of that, you know, it's, it, this, oftentimes it's the same people arguing that they don't want the government to go into deficit or debt or anything like that. And unfortunately, it, you know, if, if you want it, you know, it's interesting how people think about deficit or debt and then they think about spending that helps them, right? I mean, they tend to like the, the spending that helps them. But then when it comes to sort of thinking about it from a deficit perspective, they're, they're sort of very much against it. And, and unfortunately, you just can't have both sometimes. Okay, so we have a higher life expectancy. And they're also recommending some changes that would be voluntary, like allowing an individual to delay collecting CPP benefits beyond the current age uh, limit of 70. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I have to say, I know people who are 70 who are working full-time, making good money, and, and they really w- would prefer to delay those benefits. They, they don't need them, and uh, it, it, they just get clawed back, and they have to pay taxes on them. It just it doesn't make any sense. Well, you're right, exactly. And, and I mean, the whole point there really is just, it's all about incentives, right? I mean, the idea is to provide the incentives for people to be willing to work long. It's almost a bonus for having worked longer uh, and not, you know, required government retirement support during that period of time. Now, again, I mean, these are all, on the macro, these all make sense. And I, I think most people would be on board. And the, the, the key is going to be to target the people who do need to retire 
at 65. Because yes, we live healthier, but certainly an 80-year-old, you know, isn't living uh, the sort of type of life that allows them to work. And I know we're not talking about 80-year-olds, but you, you see my point is that not everybody's yeah, not, in the same health at 65. Not not everybody. And you know, I'm just looking at the subjects. We're we're going to take some calls in a moment, and I'm looking at the subjects, and there's also an issue of age discrimination. So people are wondering, well, it's pretty good in theory, but really, can I get a job at my age? Um, it, it, I just want to give, I'm, I'm going to take a, a call in a moment, but I'm going to give one of the statistics in this report before we do. So this report says that the rate of workforce participation in the top OECD, OECD countries, the top Western countries that have already raised the age is 62%, but only 54% in Canada. And mm. basically, they're saying there's no reason it couldn't go up to 62% here. And that would add, they say, $56 billion to Canada's gross domestic mm-hmm. product. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's pretty interesting, but let's talk to our callers for a moment. We've got Jane in Blue Water. Hi, Jane. Hi. Good uh, Good afternoon, Libby. Nice to talk with you. <clears throat> this is an issue uh, that faces seniors at the moment who can't find work, who, are, who can't support themselves on the pensions that they have and are out looking for part-time work if, if possible or even full-time work. And it, it's not available. Secondly, there's an issue, I and I have it, with looking for work that takes a job away from a younger person, a student who's saving to go to university, a student or, or um, a young person with a family who's looking for work. The jobs aren't out there now. And we heard that in the debate on the weekend from the uh, Conservative Party leaders uh, or, or uh, hopeful leaders. Well, I mean, um, if you're saying, I mean, if you're saying a part-time job, now I agree with you, jobs can be difficult to get because age discrimination is a problem and it's very difficult to prove. So I totally get that. But, you know, part-time work, which you, which is what you're talking about, I mean, presumably younger people would prefer full-time work for sure. They would, but if they can get part-time, I, I saw a program on the TV where the young people were saying they had to work two part-time jobs in order to make enough money to have um, rent to pay and bills to pay. So there aren't that a whole lot of part-time jobs available. Besides that, they are um, uh, sponsored. Uh, I don't know if sponsored is the word. That the government has a plan where they will. Uh, uh, um, oh, I know this word. Um, they will uh, subsidize pay some of the pay of the young people to in order for them to be hired. Well, that's that's generally for very young people for summer jobs. Uh, you know, uh, you're a very nice person, Jane. You know, I wouldn't I, I would, um, you know, if you want to work, need to work, I would try to get on that and not worry too much that you're taking someone's job. I'm not sure it's a zero sum game, really. That, oh, that in, if you, yeah, that in if the you outlying work, areas, it definitely is. And oh, in, in the cities, I'm sure that it's quite competitive that way as well. Okay, Jane, thanks very much for your call. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye okay, now. Lynn in Burlington. Lynn, you're, you're on the air and we're listening. Oh, hi, Libby, and thank you. I'm 66 years old. 
I get OASCPP plus I work full time. However, I've been in the workforce for well over 50 years, and and I'm thinking, where do I go? What are my options? How do I, uh, you know, live without with carry the pension and old age security is definitely not enough to cover my expenses. Well, what would be optional, if any? What, well, um, have you? Do you have um, savings, retirement savings? Very little. Okay. Well, um, what you're still working? Yes. Do you mind still working? No. no yes, actually, I do. I'm, I'm at that point where I want to uh, make a change in mm-hmm. my life. But financially, how does a person live on old age security and Canada pension and? And, uh, you know, when they're by themselves. It's, it's not the high life for sure. Jeremy, do you have anything to add to that? <laughs> well, so, I mean, so I'm, I'm guessing from the sound of it, you said on your own. So, so you're not married. You're, you're no, living, it would be right. one person. I'm me taking care of me. And your and you're real estate, you own your home or you are no, currently? No, I renting? rent. Yeah, I mean, so that's the exact type of scenario where, uh, you know, you, we would we would have to think about how these rules will impact someone like you. Who, but, I mean, but but I will say we're talking about moving from 65 to 67. We're not talking about removing CPP or old age. So your question is more about how to live on CPP and old age, and and, and so that is a little bit different than this discussion. But that said, I mean, you're the exact type of person where. Uh, the discussion around should we raise the amount of CPP that people are are forced to pay during their working years to support someone like you, because this is the the sort of vulnerable person, the single person who who is near that age of retirement who may not have enough at this point. So the challenge is going to be, you know, how to target that CPP premium towards someone in your case. Well, and, to, and 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 how do I move forward? Where do I go? Who do I speak to? Well, uh, uh, you know, a financial planner, but um, if if you don't have enough money to make ends meet, then then uh, you know, keep keep working sounds like the only reasonable option part time. Do the MPPs help with that kind of situation? Do they put in a request? Or uh, you understand what I'm trying to say? Is is how do I move forward? Um, well. So I mean I think I think look you you obviously you can always write to your MPPs or your MPs about these about these mm-hmm. issues but mm-hmm. I think I think Libby's right I mean I think unfortunately at this point it's, it, I would write to the MPPs I would talk to a financial planner and I would I would keep working I mean, you you sort of have to keep working if the if you're not sort of financially ready to retire. And in the meantime, talk to a planner who might be able to better, um, you know, better take your money and sort of invest it properly. Well, yeah. I mean, some t- I think part of it is that people don't uh, necessarily have a good handle on this stuff. But, but um, Lynn, you know, I I I don't know that any of this is 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 offering you a real solution. But but. Um, uh, that would be the best suggestion for the moment. Thank you for your time. Have Thank a wonderful you. day. Thank you. You too. Bye now. Okay, uh, let's go to Larry in Stratford. Hi, Larry. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm, I'm listening, and I kind of have a half smirk, if you will, that they're talking about not enough money in our pension plan, our, our federal pension plan, when I can recall back in the late 70s, early 80s, and interest rates started to hit 20, 22 percent, 
and the government turned around and said, we've got a lot more money in CPP than we need. We've got a lot more money in UIC than we need. And they stripped that money out and they used it for something else. At the same time, they went with companies that came in and they applied because they had defined benefit pensions. And they said, wow, we're making so much money. We don't need to have this much money in there. Can we take the excess out and use it for operating expenses because we'll never need it for pension plans. Now, the shoe's on the other foot. You can't get interest. You almost have to pay a bank to take money off you because they'll hit you with service charge, but they don't yep. pay any interest. Yep. Now, the government turned around going, you know something, you're a, you're, you're, you're a burden to the um, society because you want to retire. We don't have enough money to pay you. Why don't they have money to pay us? Because well, they have misspent it and misallocated it, and they have stole it out of our pockets because it came out of our pay pocket, went into CPP. It came out of our employer's benefits package and went into CPP, and the government raided it. Well, yes. I mean, those things that, that you pointed out, they, they did happen. But, you know, this increase in life expectancy, you know, the the retirement age was first put at 65 by Otto von Bismarck in 1867, when almost nobody lived that long. Uh, the life expectancy has gone up a huge amount. And as we're trying to say, that's a good thing that we're living longer, but uh, we have to be able to plan for it. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We are going to continue with this breaking news. If you're just tuning in, the federal liberals have a hand-picked advisory council on economic growth. And just before we went to air, they came out with their latest set of recommendations, which includes raising the age of retirement. Now, as you recall, the federal conservatives wanted to do that. They raised the age from 65 to 67, or they announced that it would be raised over a long period of time. Justin Trudeau ran against that. It was one of his main election promises to uh, roll back that increase in the age of eligibility, and he actually did that. So now that his handpicked group is recommending that that be reversed, uh, it's an interesting political conundrum. And of course, it is something that Zoomers think uh, about a lot. Now, I have to say, uh, we haven't seen the details of this. And I suspect that any plan, even if they reverse this, would not affect people who are currently retired or on the cusp of retiring. But uh, you people have a lot of opinions on this. Uh, Let's go to Dorothy in Toronto. Hi, Dorothy. Hi, Libby. Thank you for having this type of show. You're very welcome. You work so hard on all these different shows, and I appreciate it. I'm sure a lot of people do. Thank you. And having the young man who's on right now with you, I didn't get his name, though. Um, Jeremy Kronick, uh, you're on the air, and we're listening. Dorothy, what's your comment? I just heard this about young Trudeau, and you know, I think he's going to have to stand up to some of these people who are older than he is, who are in his cabinet, 
because it is a conundrum. He said that he would put roll back the time, which they should. It should be put back to 50, depending on some people who have really good health and, and who were, didn't start working until they were in their 20s. They went to university and had a father paying for everything. There's a lot of people like that. Then there are other people who started working at 16 in the retail business, still while they're in trade school. And by the time they're even 40, especially when they've had children, and they have leaking lymph node glands and all kinds of things wrong with them. And then you get sick and can't even work. And then for the rest of the time that you're sick, you have all these people who mm. say to you every time they see you, oh, don't you work? Didn't you work? Meanwhile, you've been working since you were 16 and raising children, and there's a lot like that. And, and then you get these people who had cushy jobs, and they don't want to retire. And... So what do you think? Should they roll this back or oh, should they keep it at six? They should. Like the lady you just had on a little while ago. Gosh, I felt sorry for her. That's why I wanted to call. God bless her. She's, she can tell she's really worried and full of anxiety and doesn't have good health. And she has to keep working. And she doesn't know what to do about it. Do you know how many women like that and men there are? And like a man said after that, he said, oh, yeah, they said all this money we had and don't worry about it. And putting it up to 65 was really pushing it. And now putting it up to, uh, that's ridiculous. Well, it was never, it was never less than 65. Uh, you, can, you can start collecting a pension earlier than that, but you get less money. Okay, so you're saying you should leave it at 65. Uh, Dorothy, thanks for your call. Uh, thank you, Libby. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, let's hear from Doris in Toronto. Hi, Doris. Hi, Libby. Um, yes, um, I worked up to the age of 65, and I would definitely have had no problem working for another couple of years or so. Were you forced to retire? Nope. No, nope. yes. I had to retire at 65. Yes, you were forced to. Yeah, I was forced to retire. But I certainly could have worked another two or three years later. But it's like everything else. Some people, they don't have the health. They have to, they have to retire. But as far as I'm concerned, like as I say, even my son... He's a little bit uh, not really too happy about retiring at 65. I think the biggest thing is that the retiring is what do you do after? Well, that's, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's a whole other conversation. That's the whole ballgame. you got to have a hobby or you got to have enough money. And with the way today is, all most of the jobs are part-time jobs. You've got no uh, pension or anything. So, you know, it's got its pros and cons. They may have to work to 67. It, yeah, or, or even uh, longer. I mean, Or even longer. Yeah, if, if, I mean, my opinion, and I'll check in with Jeremy, uh-huh. is that I think before this is all over, and I'm not speaking to Canada because all the other countries have raised it to 67, right. I think it's going up to 70 before we're, we're, all of this is said and done. That's just a prediction. It's it's not uh, me saying no, what no. what I think should happen, but uh, that something's got to happen. Yep. So, uh, Doris, thanks for your call. Okay, you're welcome. Bye bye. Bye bye. And Jeremy, uh, what do you think? Do you think that these ages are just going to keep going up? Well, I think it depends a little bit on life expectancy. I think it depends on the strength of the economy. And 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 you know, you brought up an interesting point, and one that I think we have to think about. 
is that, first of all, like you said, these policies are going to be phased in. So we're not talking about tomorrow. So there's an ability to prepare for the newer generation who will be affected by the new rules. And I think that that's an intelligent way to go because it allows people the time to think through spending during their working years with the knowledge that they won't get retirement savings until they're 67. I mean, one one caller brought up 50. I, I mean, what, I, yeah, I don't do, know where that came from. Right. So, but it, the question is, you know, where do you where do you put that age? What is that proper age in which you should have the right to retire while the government supports you over that period of time? And that's difficult. I, I mean, the, the problem with broad-based policies like CPP and old age is they're for everybody. And there's a scale back. So, I mean, if you earn an income, they scale it back like we talked about earlier. But they're broad policies meant to impact everyone. And people do have their individual stories, you know, people who aren't well enough, people who uh, have, you know, have worked in mines for 30 years and can't work any longer. I mean, there's all these different stories. So how do you create a broad-based policy but at the same point having specific targeted uh, help for people who need it. Because on the whole, it is better for people to work and not have government support. I, you know, like, I get where people are coming from, but on the whole, that is the better case. And, and uh, it's just, it's very, it's very hard. Well, and I think your callers sort of... Yeah, well, first of all, CPP is not support. CPP, uh, you work, exactly. you pay into it. It's your money. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's one thing OAS is, and uh, there are some other, you know, supports. And yeah. that's the thing, is that whenever you want to do something big and broad-based, you have to make sure that you take care of the people who would otherwise fall through the cracks. Exactly. That's exactly right. And and I think... I think that that's that's what we're going. That's going to be the big challenge of of policy going forward because you know we can't support people for 25, 30 years, and that's not just because uh, we stole out of CPP, as someone suggested earlier. I mean, that's not well. No, that's you know the 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 point being that the challenge is going to be to figure out uh, how do we target people in a broad-based policy system, and that's very hard. Okay, uh, let's take a few more calls. We've got Sam in Brantford. Hello, Sam. Yes, good morning. How are you doing, Libby? Fine. You're on the air and we're listening. Yeah, I'm 72 years old and I've been retired 12 years. And I think the problem is I worked 42 years altogether with three permanent uh, different jobs. Right. A lot of people want to live when they retire. They don't look, first of all, they don't look forward to retirement. And when they do think about retiring, they think that they're going to live the same way as they were when they were working. It's impossible. You have to change your lifestyle. Not that it's going to be worse, but pretty well almost what you had before. I didn't get a part-time job. I didn't never look for a part-time job. But I know people, when they're retired, they go out five times a day in their cars. Where in the hell do they go? <laughs> I plan my trips. I buy stuff that's on sale. I stock up. I stock up on groceries. When something comes on sale, I, I buy maybe three or four of them, put them in the freezer, and I just cut them in half if I, if I, uh, but I live by myself. And like I say, you have to change your whole lifestyle. Otherwise, you're not going to make it. Uh, yeah, you have to be frugal. Exactly. And I don't, I've never had RSPs because I felt that the RSPs were good for the banks and trust companies. But when you take the money out that is in there, now you've got to pay interest on what you're You pay out. taxes on it. You pay taxes on it. Exactly. So basically, when you need the money when you're retired, you shouldn't pay taxes on that money. But people don't realize that that is, 
It's incentives for the bank. I've never had RSPs. Okay, well, I just want to um, uh, put people's attention. Uh, there's a new thing, or a relatively new thing, and that is a TFSA. That's a tax-free savings account. So the thing about the RSPs, when you're earning money, you put the money in your RSPs, and you don't have to pay tax on it, but you pay tax when you take it out. Government always needs its slice. With a tax-free savings account, you build that up with money that you've – with after-tax money, money that you've already paid taxes on so that when you take it out in retirement, you don't pay taxes on it again. So uh, these are, you know, different – mechanisms. And, you know, if you see a financial planner and you plan it all correctly, so you have different streams of income. If you've got a tax-free savings account, so you have some money that comes out without taxes. If you have an RSP, uh, becomes a RIF, you have some money that that is taxed, and then you have your CPP and uh, your OAS. So, but but yeah, I certainly get where you're coming from, Sam. Well, if somebody wants to know how I live, they can call me. You can, okay. give, you can give them my, my number, and I'll, I'll show them how to save money when it, when it comes down to it. Because uh, my dad always said to me, uh, it's not how much you make, it's how you spend it. Okay. Thanks a lot for okay, that. Okay. Have a good day. Okay. okay bye-bye. Bye-bye. Nancy in Burlington. Hello, Nancy. Oh, hi, hi Libby. Um, I'll, I'll just uh, be a minute. I, I wanted to uh, sort of reflect back on when the uh, pension plan was first introduced. It's my understanding that the government said this is a three-pronged attack on how you can prepare for pension. One will be OAS, one will be the government pension, and the third one will be your own savings. Um, it, it seems to me when I, I hear the people calling in that they believe that uh, the government it will be totally responsible uh, for uh, their well-being during their retirement years. And, and I don't think that was ever the intention. Uh, I, I agree it wasn't the intention, but, but I guess the fact is, depending on what kind of work you do, if you're working and you're earning minimum wage, then I don't know how you have savings. Uh, and I have a lot of sympathy for people in that position. So, yes, people have to be responsible for themselves, but they have to be in a position to save money. You've got to cover your expenses, I think. Libby, can I jump in there? Sure. Uh, so one interesting thing is, and this is where I was talking with that person who was single earlier, the interesting thing is that if you're a married couple and you both had minimum wage your whole lives, uh, old age and CPP combined – actually get you pretty close, if not identical, to where you were earning that minimum wage. So you're not actually worse off in retirement. You're just not better off than you are. Right. The single people is where you see a, a, bigger, a bigger issue for the funding of, of one's retirement. I just want to point that out because I think it's interesting to, to, to know that. Yep. Yep. And that's a very important point. And that's one of the, you know, uh, when our previous caller who said he never had RRSPs, it depends how much you earn. And if you don't earn that much, then those programs can get you very close to what you did earn. But uh, I think what what yet another caller was saying and talking about being frugal is that if you're middle class and you're used to a certain standard of living, unless you've managed to save a good chunk of cash, you're not going to get there. 
Yeah, and I mean, we did a little work here at CDO. We put out a paper about the vulnerabilities. And the interesting thing was for that middle class that we're talking about, there's not as many people at risk as you might think of not of not meeting the sort of standards they had during retirement. The one caveat to that is real estate. It's how you think about real estate. You know, if you own a house, you know, do we think it's reasonable to ask someone in retirement uh, to sell their house and use those proceeds as part of retirement? Because as anyone who's owned a house knows, there's, it, it comes with huge carrying costs uh, when you own a home. And it's so it's not, we're not saying, you know, you sell your house and live on the street, but to live in a one-bedroom or two-bedroom apartment in retirement when you add up the cost of property taxes and, and everything else that comes with owning a home, it's not drastically different, those two things, renting a two-bedroom and uh, living in your home. But there's a social issue to what we think of, how we think about real estate in terms of, its, in terms of people using it in retirement. Well, exactly. And then there's people who want to leave something for their children. And uh, if you're going to buy another house, even downsizing or anything, you know, the, the market might be crazy and you might be making a lot of money, but you still have to buy into the same market. So unless you move somewhere where real estate is cheaper, you well, know. That's where, yeah. So I mean, that's where it comes to renting. And on your point on giving something to your children, that that's fair. But for the person, for example, who instead of buying a house, invested only in RSPs, you know, how is, you know, they're not going to get the government support, we're arguing, because they have their own savings. But the person that saved in their house instead, uh, does get extra government support and because they want to pass that house on to their, their kid. I mean, that doesn't sound overly sort of equal. Um, but, but again, it, there's, it's a social question, and I'm raising it only so that we sort of have the facts to play with when we're talking about, you know, should the government be the one to come in and help you additionally oh. just because you own a house and don't want to sell it? it, oh, it okay, it's... Jeremy, we have to end the conversation because we're totally out of time. This was fascinating. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.